I want to tell you that I am very, very pleased to be able to take you some places that I have been. By that I mean by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I have found it to be of great comfort in my life. And I want to take the weeks ahead to look at the various uh, ministries of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It has been of great comfort to me, and that's why we have called this uh, series Our Comforter. Uh, If you have your worship folder, you may notice that there is a scripture, and then there is a diagram, and then the sermon outline for you to take notes if you do. I think that the scripture will be helpful so we can look at it together, but also there is a a drawing that I hope will help us understand uh, something more about the ministry of the Holy Spirit as described in the life of uh, and the ministry of Zechariah, who has this wonderful vision from God for us as well as it was for his day. Let's pray before we start. Father, we are here this morning by divine appointment. You have brought us together to this place. We thank you for uh, your work here at the church. We are asking, Lord, that there will be a fresh wind, a breath of your spirit upon us all. That as we go through your word, you will reveal to us this incredible gift given to every Christian. And we... uh, we want to uh, utilize and, and apply all that's available to us from you, every spiritual blessing through the ministry of your spirit. May you fill this place with your presence. And may you fill each of our hearts with your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What we think about God is the most important thing about us. Therefore, we must have an appropriate and adequate view of God if we are to live and glorify Him, especially in times of adversity and spiritual warfare. Because what we believe to be true about God will be tested. Usually, in times of adversity, And when we enter into spiritual warfare. Understanding and appropriating the ministry of the Holy Spirit, in my opinion, is the key to spiritual life. We want to talk about who is the Holy Spirit. Well, the Bible makes it clear that the Holy Spirit is God. He is personal and he is co-equal in the Godhead. He is not an impersonal expression of God's power and he is not an it. He is a he. He is a person. He is God. Confusion has also grown up over who the Holy Spirit is when he's referred to as the Holy Ghost. You may have heard that. Um, He is not like Casper the Friendly Ghost. 
I think you're glad to hear that. And he doesn't float around us in a uh, white robe going, boo, I'm the Holy Spirit. Actually, the word ghost, that is translated in some of the Bibles, is an old English translation of a word that should be used, and it's spirit. It also hasn't helped when people have misinterpreted John 16, 13, that says, the Spirit will not speak of himself. Well, that implies that the Holy Spirit doesn't want us to talk about him. But that's not true. Actually, the phrase, or that verse, should be translated this way, as in many of the uh, recent translations, when it says, the Spirit will not speak from his own authority. And that means that the Holy Spirit speaks, works through the prophets and through his word as the Father has spoken to him. He is the one who breathes forth the word of God. He's faithful to communicate exactly what the Father wants to have communicated. So this in no way should deter us from becoming familiar to becoming personal with Holy Spirit. And he is personal. The ministry of the Holy Spirit, I believe, is at the heart of the gospel. To know him is to enjoy intimate fellowship with God. To be well acquainted with the Holy Spirit is to know the heart and the power of God. That's his ministry. J.B. Phillips writes about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in these words. He says, every time we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, we mean that we believe that there is a living God able and willing to enter human personality and change it. And that's what he does. He changes us. He transforms us. Transforms us into the likeness of his son. Now the prophet Zechariah that we're going to look at today was born in the 6th century BC while in Babylonian captivity. And his father was recognized as a priest in Israel. Zechariah's name means the Lord or Yahweh remembers. What a great name. Um, His name was likely given to him by his parents to remind him and maybe all of us of God's covenant faithfulness. Early in his life, we are told that the spirit of God clothed him with power. To be a prophet. And when he returned from Babylonian captivity, he must have been shocked. Shocked to see the condition of the city of Jerusalem and to look at the ruins of the temple. This once great city, this once great nation, was now in shambles, in ruins. 
And if this nation wanted to return to the greatness that it once had, it needed to return to the God who made it great. Is that what we're praying for today for us? In fact, the Lord spoke to Zechariah in the first chapter of his intention for Israel. He said, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me and I'll return to you. And that's what the Lord desired to do. Zechariah lived in difficult and dark days. And his book was written to those who were living in troubled days and times like our own. There were daunting questions in the nation at that time. How could Solomon's temple, that was once so beautiful, an expression of the glory of God, ever be rebuilt? There was so much cultural confusion, political infighting, failed leadership, and economic inflation. Some even question, has God forgotten his promise? Has he forgotten us? No. This makes, is made clear in this book of Zechariah that the Lord had not forgotten them. In chapter 8 of this book, verse 15, the Lord reiterates his purpose and his desire for Israel. He said, I have purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And then it says, therefore, if you would, fear not. Fear not these days because the Lord desires to do good for his people. And we ask, what is a vision anyway? Well, a biblical vision reveals God's purpose and plan for his glory and our good that would otherwise be hidden by the limitations of human understanding. God's revelations turn the ordinary into extraordinary so that life can be seen through the eyes of God. Therefore, a God-given vision gives us a much-needed perspective to God, to ourselves, and the culture and the days in which we live. In chapter 4, we find a vision It is the fifth vision so far in this book given to Zechariah. It is a vision that promised a man by the name of Zerubbabel. We'll discuss in a moment. That he would have the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit that would be needed to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And, And quite honestly, it's an amazing prophecy because it gives us promise. Not only for Zerubbabel, but for us as well. Let's look at this scripture together. We'll divide it up in parts. Let's read first verses 1 through 5. You'll find it in your worship folder and you can see it up here as well. Follow along as I read. 
And the angel who talked with me came again, and he woke me, like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, that's the angel, what do you see? And I said, I see and behold a lampstand, um, all of gold, with a bowl on top of it, and seven lamps on it, with seven lips on each of the lamps, that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees. Two olive trees by it. One on the right of the bowl and the other on the left. And I, I said to the angel who talked with me, what, what are these, Lord? And then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And Zachariah goes, no, my Lord. Let's look now at that vision. This vision is, uh, it is filled with uh, symbolism, type and shadow. It's filled with hope and promise, not just for Zerubbabel, but for us as well. This may be a poor drawing, I didn't, but was able to get it, that will explain to us this vision and why it is uh, going to be so pivotal and important in the life of the man called Zerubbabel, but also in the life of Israel. Let me take a quick tour of this, uh, of this uh, candlestick. You see there are seven candles here coming from a golden lampstand. On the right-hand side is an olive tree, which is sometimes referred to as anointed. Uh, And uh, I will suggest to you that the one on the right will be the hope and promise of a priest by the name of Joshua, who's mentioned in chapter, the chapter previously in the other vision. But this one here, this tree here, represents Zerubbabel, the king. Now I need to support that to you, and uh, be patient, we'll try to get there. But notice that on both sides of this candlestick are... Branches from olive trees. And what do olive trees produce? Olives, but they produce oil. And here's what's happening, is that the oil that comes through these branches pour into this bowl on top. And then from the bowl, it's dispersed out through little pipes going to each of those candles. Now you say, so what? Well, let's take a look at that. You see, Zechariah at first didn't recognize everything in this vision. Well, he did recognize the similarity of the golden lampstand with the one that once stood in the temple. But this lampstand is, as you can see, is, has some unique features to it that Zerubbabel didn't recognize. And the lamp had seven candles that were ablaze on a golden candelabra. It was made with gold because gold represents the purity and the preciousness of God. Um, There were seven candles because it was God's number for perfection and completeness, much like the one in the temple. But unlike the temple uh, lampstand, 
This one has a unique feature, and it's this. That bull on top. And I'm sure Zechariah is going, yeah, I kind of recognize that, but I, I don't understand what this is all about, Lord. Now we're going to hear about that. Uh, this bull that was above it, it served as a reservoir uh, to catch the constant flow of oil pouring out of the living olive trees that were growing on both sides of the limb. And coming out of the bowl, as I showed to you, were seven pipes, or even more, that went to each of the seven candlesticks. So, one thing if you were to take an observation of this and say, what can we conclude from this already? Well, notice this, that the oil coming to the lampstand is perpetual and constant. You see, the trees are alive. And so the oil will flow out and keep those lights burning without stop. It guaranteed that each candle would have sufficient oil to perpetually burn brightly without the need of a priest or any man. Think of that. This is a perpetual light that God is revealing. It would be like having a car that never needed to stop for gas because it had two oil wells on either side of it that drilled into an endless underground sea of oil. Now, wouldn't that be nice? You could go as long as you want, wherever you want, and you never run out. I heard somebody say, amen. You'd like to have that feature. I, I don't think that will happen in my lifetime for sure. But the lampstand was a symbol of the all-sufficient resources of the oil that came out of those trees. All of that would be available to Zerubbabel and it's a promise to each of us. The Lord was about to reveal his glory for all the world to see. Now let's look at the remaining verses of our text this morning. Then he said to me, that is to, the angel said to Zechariah, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. What are those words? Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You've probably heard that before, haven't you? And then there's a question. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace, to it. We want to talk about the meaning of this vision. The vision was intended to be the word of the Lord, specifically to Zerubbabel. Who is he? 
Well, Zerubbabel was the grandson of Jehoiakim, one of the kings of Israel. He was appointed governor or like king of Judah by, the, by King Darius in Babylon. And he led the first group of Israelites out of Babylon and he was taking them back to Jerusalem. And as the governor, we learn that he began to rebuild the temple. He had begun to build it 20 years before this vision. But after they had poured and finished the foundation, the work came to an abrupt stop. Why? Failed leadership. Overwhelming opposition, political infighting, depression of the workers, and lack of faith. Now for Zerubbabel, the task of rebuilding the broken temple, it it just seemed impossible, even though it had a good foundation. He needed a word. He needed a word from heaven that would glorify God and unify the people. Brothers and sisters of reverence, we need a vision. A vision like this one. To glorify God and unify the people. We need a word from God. This vision found fulfillment in Zerubbabel, but it will also find fulfillment in Christ. Now the promise of God here was very simple. Not by might. Nor by power. But by my spirit. Says the Lord of hosts. Zerubbabel did, didn't need to be disheartened anymore. The spirit's power would be mightier and more powerful than any great army. That could ever come against him. Actually, in his human weakness, God's power would be perfected and manifested. And the angel sort of defies the obstacles to Zerubbabel's uh, task. Says to, if you would, the obstacles before Zerubbabel, and who are you, O great mountain, to stand on the way of the Lord's work? In other words... What mountain of problems, what mountains of brokenness can stand in the way of the Lord's work? Those mountains against God's church would be flattened like the floor of a desert valley. The angel once again promises to Zerubbabel these things. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house 20 years ago. But now his hand will also complete it. Would that be nice to hear before he even started in on a rebuilding project? To have a vision like this of all the resources you need, all the power you need. It'll be yours no matter how many obstacles come against you. No matter what mountain you have to face. You will have my power, says the Lord. 
And here's what we can take away from this vision. Never overestimate the size of mountains that stand in your way. Again, never overestimate the size of mountains that stand in your way. This is not just positive dribble. This is biblical hope. And never underestimate the might and the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't overestimate the obstacles, but never underestimate the ways of God, the purposes of God, the will of God, and the power of God. Romans 8.31 is kind of like an echo to what the Lord said to Zechariah. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, what? Who can stand against us? That's, that's really that vision just shortened up a little bit. Or in 1 John 4.4, 4, Little children, you are from God and have looked. You have overcome them. For he who is in you is what? Greater than he that's in the world. So why are we afraid? What keeps us from pressing on? Zechariah had this message from God to Zerubbabel. Now, just imagine for a minute that you were Zerubbabel. And you knew that you got the foundation, but man, the task ahead, the condition of the people, all the obstacles there. How could you ever attempt to go back now and rebuild the rest of it? How would you have looked at your task after you have received this word? After you have seen this vision? I think what you would have is hope. Hope to face the mountains of rubble standing before us. And that's what happened to Zerubbabel. We are told that he completed the building of the temple just as God promised. Overwhelming mountain flattened because of the power of the Holy Spirit. This vision, as I said, also finds fulfillment in Christ. Christ is the temple of God. And he said, his temple would be broken by the hands of evil men, but what? He'd raise it up in three days. Seemed impossible? Not for God. By the way, the angel of the Lord or the host of heaven is none other than the pre-incarnate Christ. Here are some names to remind us of who the Holy Spirit is that are recorded in the Bible. I'm giving them to you quickly. Because as you know the names of Christ or of, of the Spirit, you know his ministries. He's called the Holy Spirit because he is infinitely holy and he works holiness in the life of every true believer. He's called our comforter 
Because he's the one who comes alongside us to help and console us in our time of need. He is the spirit of the living God. Because he creates and sustains eternal life in each of us. He's called the spirit of the father. Because he applies and completes what God has ordained. The Father ordained our salvation in eternity past. The Son accomplished our salvation on the cross. And the Holy Spirit is the one who applies and completes our salvation in each of us. He's called the Spirit of Christ. Because he's the one who spoke through the prophets about the coming of Christ. He came with, he promised the coming of Christ. He was also the one who dwelt in Jesus during his earthly ministry. He miraculously brought about the conception of Jesus in the Virgin Mary. He anointed Jesus at his baptism with power from above. He guided and comforted Jesus through his ministry. And it says he also raised Jesus from the dead. But consider that this same spirit that was in Christ Jesus, our Lord, is in each of us. That same spirit. You don't get a lesser one. You get the same Holy Spirit. That's an amazing thing. Think who we are. We're called the temple of God, correct? And the spirit of God resides in us. The same one that was in the temple we refer to as Christ. He's also referred to as the spirit of promise because he is the one who promised, was promised to us by the Father and the Son. He's the one who spoke through the prophets promising the coming of Christ. He is also the one who guarantees and secures our salvation. He's called the spirit of truth because he is the truth. And he guides God's people into all the truth that's revealed in the scriptures. He is the spirit of life. Because he's the one who applied the word of God at creation. He's the one who brought about new life in us. And we call that being born from above or being born again. He's also referred to names like the glorifier because that's what he loves to do is glorify the Father and the Son in us and through us. He's also called the spirit of adoption because he is the one who unites us with God the Father as his sons and daughters. We'll talk more about these things later. He's called the spirit of wisdom who enables us to apply and understand biblical truth to everyday life. He's also called, and I love this one, The spirit of freedom or liberty. He sets us free from the power of sin and death. And so as you can see that the Holy Spirit is an essential part of our understanding of what God has done for us. Of who this God is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit given to us. Now let's quickly identify or clarify the spiritual Symbols in this vision. The lampstand, as we mentioned, represented the light and the glory of God in the world. 
It was a present reality as well as a future symbol. Israel was chosen to be a light in the world by its, but its light had dimmed long before. There was no longer a glowing lampstand in the temple because the temple had been destroyed 70 years before. But now, by the prophecy, the vision of the Lord, he was going to show his glory again in the temple. Zerubbabel was going to rebuild it, but a greater glory was still coming to the temple. When Jesus appeared in the temple, he was the light of the world and the glory of God who tabernacled with us. Jesus called his church to also be his light bearers. Candlesticks. We are that by preaching the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit and by the way we live. In Matthew 5, Jesus announced, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, like a lampstand. And it gives light to all the house. In the same way, Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen? The olive oil, I think it's pretty evident right now in our discussion that the oil is the ministry, the power of the Holy Spirit that surges or flows through the two living olive trees. The oil is referred to as well as golden because it too is precious and incorruptible. See, the spirit is the fuel, the power that keeps the light of Christ glowing in the world and in us. Every true born-again Christian has the Holy Spirit permanently Dwelling in them. He's not in one day, out the other. He doesn't have one foot out, one foot in. No, if you are born again, you have the Holy Spirit from the moment you were born in Christ to the moment you are ushered into the kingdom of God. Do you think God cares about us? Not only enough to send his son to die for us, to justify us, But he sends his Holy Spirit to comfort us, help us, and if you would, to get us to heaven. He didn't leave it up to us. If it were up to us, well, you know what would happen. We're prone to wander. Every true born-again Christian has a constant daily supply available of God's grace. It's not like, oh, he's... He's got so much Holy Spirit in him. Let me tell you, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have a person. With all the power, resources given to Christ, they're made available to us. And these two living olive trees, called anointed ones, if you would, some even call them the sons of oil. One is Zerubbabel, the king, and the other is Joshua, the priest. 
One was the king of Judah, called to rebuild the temple, and the other was the high priest Joshua, called to renew the purity of the priesthood and lead Israel in heartfelt worship. The two things Israel needed was to heal the brokenness and return the ministry to purity. These olive trees were symbols, reminders of God's power. Their success would not depend upon their might or strength, but only the might and the power of the Holy Spirit. They had the never-ending resource of the Holy Spirit that would last until the day that they died. That is why the angel promises here later in this section that Joshua or Zerubbabel will complete the temple. And he also says, not by might nor by the power of men, but by the Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That's the promise, my friends. It doesn't depend upon any of us. It depends on the Holy Spirit in each of us. Then, at the completion of this temple, there is, he says there's a shout. I, I love this. The shout is, what? Grace, grace, grace to it. And that's a, a picture of Israel anticipated on the day that they celebrated the completion of the rebuilt temple. That's what they were going to sing. And they would shout out, grace, grace. Why? Because they were now aware that the completion of the temple was by grace. From beginning to the end. Grace, the foundation, and the completion would be by grace as well. When it says grace, grace to it, they have in mind the capstone on the pinnacle of the temple. And that was the visible, official sign that God had finished his work. It represented God's glory and his grace. The stone was but a symbol of the completion of But you may remember that Jesus Christ is referred to many times as the cornerstone of the temple. That was laid at the beginning. Grace at the beginning. The capstone is the ultimate completed temple. That's why we refer to Jesus Christ as the author and the finisher of our faith. We begin our life as a Christian by grace and we go through our life by grace and we are completed by grace. Someday, my friends, we'll be together with a multitude of innumerable saints in heaven and we will shout as well. Hallelujah, salvation, And glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Grace, grace, 
Grace got me here. Not my works, my goodness, anything else. It'll be all about Christ. Let's apply this vision to our lives. To personally know the Holy Spirit is to enjoy intimate fellowship with God. Question. Are you having fellowship with God by the Holy Spirit? If not, why? Too busy? Your love's grown cold? Are you a pretend wannabe? Are you bitter? To be well acquainted with the Holy Spirit is to know the very heart and power of God. Never overestimate the size of the mountains that stand in your way and never underestimate the might and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our success in glorifying God doesn't depend upon our might or our power, but only on the might and the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. The success of this church does not depend upon the individual parts, but what? The Holy Spirit who works through the individual parts. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's power and provision. Broken temples, broken churches can only be healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray to our Heavenly Father that His Spirit will fill this place and fill each and every one of us who are a part of this church. May His grace bind us together as we move ahead. May it bind us together as nothing has ever done before. May we join the multitude who shouted, Grace, grace to the capstone, to the glory of God on the temple. These words need to be in our hearts and minds this morning as we go our way. Please repeat these with me. Not says the Lord of hosts. That's a promise. He's given us the Holy Spirit that guarantees that that will be fulfilled. Grace. Grace. Let's pray. Father, we are here this morning. We ask that your grace will so overwhelm us. Your presence will be so precious and sweet. We pray, Lord, that you will give us a fresh understanding and appreciation of who you are and the gift you've given to us. Lord, we pray that your grace might bind us together, unite us together as we press onward. 
We need you. We want you. May we have intimate fellowship with you by the means of your Holy Spirit. As we read your word, as we pray, as we serve you by serving others. Thank you, Father, that it is all done by grace. Your grace. We praise you and give you our thanks in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.